Good morning, everybody. Hello. We've got a big crowd here today. This is wonderful. I'm Carmen Applegren, Community Relations Coordinator here at Braille Institute. We welcome you today to our Macular Degeneration, Retinal Disease, and Technology Seminar. <gasps> That's a lot to say, isn't it? <laughs> um, we've got two great doctors uh, that are speaking here today, and uh, that's from 10 to 12, and afterwards we have a wonderful exhibit fair, so we want you to just have a great, great time today, okay? Yay! We also are going to have our drawing at the end of the, uh, at the end of the seminar too, so everybody's all excited about that. <laughs> right now I would like to bring up to the stage, um, the Director of Marketing and PR, Courtney Castle, and she's going to welcome you and introduce our first doctor. Thank you, Carmen. Good morning, everyone. As Carmen said, my name is Courtney Castle, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Public Relations here at our Los Angeles Center. I want to thank you all for joining us today for our annual Macular Degeneration Seminar and Innovation Fair. As many of you know, Braille Institute is a nonprofit organization that is dependent upon private donations for support. All of our wonderful programs and services wouldn't be possible without the support of our generous donors and volunteers. Today's seminar is made possible because of a grant from the Meta and George Rosenberg Foundation. Meta Rosenberg was an Emmy Award-winning television producer, story editor, agent, and director whose career spanned 65 years. She was diagnosed with macular degeneration in her later years and became a Braille Institute Library patron. Asked what words of advice she might give someone else who had lost one of their senses, her response was truly inspirational. As long as you're alive, she said, you should be living. We're grateful to the Meta and George Rosenberg Foundation for its continuing support of Braille Institute. And we've also taken Meta's advice to heart with the creation of our new Solutions Insight public education campaign, which provides lifestyle tips and information to help people with low vision live fulfilling lives. We would like to extend our gratitude to our newest community partners in this effort, Enhanced Vision, one of the leading developers of innovative products for people who are visually impaired. Enhanced Vision is supporting Braille Institute's efforts to educate and inform the public about the many ways to stay connected through technology. In doing so, they have generously offered to sponsor a very special promotion called Staying Connected with the Pebble. If you haven't had an opportunity to add your name to the drawing for their free handheld Pebble magnifier, which is valued at more than $600, we have forms available in the lobby and you can sign up during intermission. The Pebble small lightweight design makes it the perfect companion for magnification at home or on the go. The winner of the Staying Connected with the Pebble promotion will be drawn at the conclusion of the event today. Before we begin the seminar, I will ask that you please take a few moments to turn off all cell phones and other electronic devices, please. It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce our first speaker for the day. Dr. Ron Taban is the latest addition to the world-renowned team of scientists and retina specialists at the Retina Macula Institute, directed by Braille Institute Medical Advisory Board member Dr. Ron Gallimore. Graduating summa cum laude from the University of California, Los Angeles, Dr. Taban received his MD from the University of California, Irvine. He completed his residency in retina fellowship training at the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic. As a Retina Fellow, he received a wide variety of national and international awards and has helped pioneer numerous surgical techniques and treatments. Constantly active in the field of research, Dr. Taubon has published more than 50 original articles and chapters in several top-tier journals and is an investigator on more than 20 clinical trials studying both wet and dry macular degeneration. 
His passion for understanding and treating retinal diseases is world-renowned. Today, Dr. Taban will be sharing with us the latest research on current and future treatments for macular degeneration and retinal diseases. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Ron Taban. Well, thank you for a nice introduction, and thank you, Carmen, and the Braille Institute for inviting me. This is a great honor to uh, pre- uh, be able to speak here. Uh, so my talk is going to be uh, primarily focused on macular degeneration, um, and I'll talk a little bit about retinitis pigmentosa. Then, just as a disclosure, I don't have any uh, interest in, in any materials discussed in this report. Um, so what is AMD? AMD stands for Age-Related Macular Degeneration. And uh, it used to be called senile macular degeneration because it's a macular degeneration that develops in uh, elderly people, uh, usually in people who are above age 50. Uh, the macula is the center of the retina, and uh, there is many forms of degenerations of the uh, macula, such as star guards, cone rod dystrophy, uh, best disease. Uh, but AMD is by far the most common uh, mac- uh, macular degeneration. And when people talk about macular degeneration, uh, they're usually referring to AMD. So AMD is the leading cause of severe vision loss in people above age 50 uh, in the Western world, including the United States. The prevalence of advanced AMD is uh, about 2 million uh, currently, and it's uh, predicted to rise to 3 million or more by 2020. In the U.S. alone, the direct cost of AMD is considerably estimated to be at least $10 billion annually. And once advanced AMD occurs in one eye, the risk of developing uh, advanced AMD in the other eye is 43% over a five-year period. What are the different kinds of macular degeneration of AMD? There's two types. There's the dry form, which uh, people get these uh, deposits called drusens, which are a combination of protein and lipid in the retina. Uh, There are different... uh, degrees of the dry macular degeneration, and I'll talk about that in just a bit. The other type is the wet macular degeneration, which means um, an abnormal blood vessel grows from the choroid layer, which is the vascular layer beneath the retina, and uh, it grows and leaks and bleeds because it's uh, it's not a normal blood vessel. The causes of vision loss in uh, AMD are uh, twofold. If you have wet macular degeneration, the leakage and the bleeding causes um, uh, damage to the photoreceptors, and hence vision loss. The other type, which is less common, uh, is when you get geographic atrophy in the center of the vision, and that's when the photoreceptors die. This is um, less common, and uh, uh, if you do have uh, advanced geographic atrophy, uh, you can have pretty bad vision loss. Uh, What is the ideology? They're multifactorial um, uh, for AMD believed to be environmental factors, genetic factors, lifestyle factors. Uh, We know that drusens, the more you get drusens and the larger you get drusens, that's a risk factor. Why people get drusens um, more than others? Uh, There are some patients that have more drusens in one eye versus the other eye. We don't have all the answers why people get this, but it's believed to be uh, some uh, metabolic byproducts uh, of the retina. Um, could nutrition be an uh, ideology? Um, these are some of the things that are uh, still ongoing research. Uh, some of the, so why do risk factors matter? 
you know, they provide information about the pathogenesis. They offer guidance on, uh, you know, who to examine and when to examine. Uh, they offer uh, guidance for uh, targets for therapy. And also, uh, obviously, patients are interested in um, prognosis. The known risk factors are uh, few. As I said, age uh, is uh, a known risk factor. As you uh, uh, age, the risk of AMD goes up exponentially. Smoking is the uh, only con uh, controllable risk factor that is consistently being proven across many different studies. Uh, so if you're a smoker, uh, that's definitely an increased risk factor for getting macular degeneration. Family history and genetics, there's definitely a component there. Uh, how much of a component? Uh, it varies across different studies. Uh, it could be anywhere from 10 to 50%. Uh, and the ocular risk factors are the, as I said, drusens. The more drusens you have, the larger you have. That increases the chance of uh, advanced macular degeneration. Uh, also, retinal pigment epithelial uh, clumping, these RPE changes that uh, we notice in the RANA, that increases the risk of AMD. And also, if you have uh, AMD in one eye, the risk of having an in the eye goes up, as I said. Some of the suspected risk factors that have been um, shown in some studies but not proven in other studies include female gender. Uh, some studies have shown that that's an increased risk factor. Uh, having hypertension or cardiovascular risk factors uh, has shown to be have some correlation to AMD, hyperlipidemia. Light exposure, uh, people talk about it all the time. It hasn't been proven across studies, uh, but it is something that has been suspected. And cataract surgery. Um, there was a few studies that showed that people who had cataract surgery um, had increased chance of uh, you know, uh, getting more advanced AMD, or the AMD would worsen. However, uh, more recent studies, larger studies, have disproved that theory. And uh, the reason is people who had cataract surgery had um, you know, cloudy uh, uh, view of the retina, and they probably had macular degeneration to begin with. And once the cataract was removed, uh, people noticed that you know, they had wet AMD. So that's where the uh, you know, question comes in that probably they had AMD to begin with, but the cataract surgery you know, brought it to light. Uh, the role of genetics, uh, you know, patients with AMD are more likely to have relatives with AMD compared to the general population. Uh, the AMD concordance is uh, higher in identical twins compared to fraternal twins. Um, and again, the heritage factor is probably around 50%, uh, but it, it varies. And one of the possible genes that have been studied is a complement factor H. Uh, this may explain about a third of the genetic causes. Uh, however, there's no treatment for this gene yet, and uh, there's probably many other genes that are involved. But the search continues for the genetic factors. Um, so preventive measures, we talked about smoking. Uh, people try to uh, do lasers for these uh, deposits, the drusens, to see if we can uh, uh, you know, resolve the drusens and decrease the chance of getting advanced macular degeneration. So the lasers worked as far as uh, regressing the drusens, these deposits. However, they did not de decrease the chance of uh, getting the abnormal blood vessels, uh, the choroidal vascular membranes. And they might have actually increased this chance a little bit. So the laser for this doesn't work. Um, now nutrition, vitamins, and minerals is one uh, category that has shown um, good outcome, and I'll talk to you about that in, 
in detail. So the first uh, study was called the ARIDS-1 study. This was uh, came out in 2001. It was a large randomized study, multi-center across U.S., uh, about uh, almost 5,000 participants. Um, and people were categorized, patients were categorized into four categories of AMD. Category 1 had a few small drusens. Category 2 had... Uh, many small drusens or few medium drusens. These are all, you know, uh, size-based. Category 3 had many medium or one large drusen, or they had uh, geographic atrophy that did not involve the center. And Category 4 was advanced macular degeneration, which means they had uh, uh, either wet macular degeneration uh, or central geographic atrophy. So people uh, were categorized in these two, um, in, those, in those four categories. And the ARIDS-1 formulation consisted of vitamin C, 500 milligrams, vitamin E, 400 international units, zinc, 80 milligrams, copper, 2 milligrams, and beta-carotene, 15 milligrams. And this study showed that uh, over a five-year period, uh, in patients with Category 2, the risk of uh, getting advanced magnetization was really low. Uh, whether you were on the vitamins or you were not on the vitamins. Um, so it's, the line was essentially flat. However, people who were in category three and four had uh, definite increased risk of getting advanced macular degeneration. And compared to placebo, uh, they decreased the chance of the advanced, uh, more advanced macular degeneration decreased. So people who took um, uh, the antioxidants plus the zinc had uh, up to 25% decreased chance of progression. Uh, people who took zinc alone had a uh, 21% chance uh, of decreased risk of progression. And if you took the antioxidants alone, it was 17% chance. If you combine the 17 and 21%, uh, it went up to 25%. So if you do all of them, you have 25% chance of uh, less chance of progression. So the recommendations that ARIS-1 gave was for category in 3 and 4, we do recommend ARIS supplementation. For category 1 and 2, uh, we do still recommend multivitamins, green leafy vegetables, uh, and no smoking. Uh, one caveat for this uh, formulation was if you're a smoker, beta-carotene is not good. It can increase the chance of lung cancer slightly. And so people who are on smokers, they have to have the beta-carotene-free formulation. So now, uh, after ARIDS-1, people thought, well, are there other nutrients and ingredients that can help um, macular degeneration? So ARIDS-2 is a, another large, huge study, uh, about 4,000 participants across U.S. Um, they're comparing ARIDS-1 formulation plus lutein and zeaxanthin, which are carotenoids I'll talk about in a little bit, uh, as well as omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil. I'm sure many of you have heard of uh, fish oil and these uh, lutein, and uh, we, this study is going to prove um, either way if those are going to be beneficial. There is some evidence uh, that they can be beneficial, which is why they're uh, being studied intensely in this study. Um, so these results are not going to be out for another two, three years. Um, so lutein and zeaxanthin are the only carotenoids that concentrate in the macula. Uh, there are poten three potential mechanisms that uh, they can afford protection against macular degeneration. One is they absorb blue light. Uh, again, the idea about phototoxicity, light exposure, is still being debated, and, and uh, this is uh, this may give us an answer in that regard. 
they also uh, 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 quench free radicals um, and also increase membrane stability. So those are three possible uh, mechanisms that they can protect against AMD, uh, and uh, this study will show us if they can be useful. Uh, there was one study uh, done um, called the CARET study, which was carotenoids in age-related eye disease study. This was uh, carotenoids um, used for females, and people who were um, less than 75 years old had a uh, 43% chance, less chance of the progression of the macular degeneration. These people who took the lutein and zeaxanthin. However, this was a much uh, smaller study, uh, so... We don't know if it's going to pan out in the larger study, but we're hopeful. So lutein and zeaxanthin are commonly found in uh, green leafy vegetables, in corn, egg, yolk, broccoli, peas, and squash. So we recommend all our patients who have um, anywhere from intermediate to advanced AMD uh, to go on uh, lutein and uh, zeaxanthin and also have a high um, green leafy vegetable diet as well as corn and broccoli and peas. Uh, bilberry is one uh, controversial uh, ingredient that uh, it may help or not. There's been some controversy uh, as far as if it's going to help a AMD. Uh, there were some uh, studies that showed it might help night vision, uh, but as far as AMD is concerned, uh, we just don't know yet. However, it does not have much side effects, so if you do want to go on bilberry, uh, it's not a bad idea. Um, the other controversy was uh, vitamin E, specifically high-dose vitamin E. Um, you know, vitamin E has been uh, thought that it may uh, help uh, with conditions such as Alzheimer's disease and AMD. Um, the multivitamins that are typically in stores contain usually just 30 international units of vitamin E. Uh, but many individual supplements are 400 units or more. Um, Unfortunately, in one of the recent studies, a large study, uh, showed that high-dose vitamin E can increase uh, mortality uh, over a long period, uh, probably related to heart failure. So um, at least in this large study, uh, it was not recommended to be on high-dose vitamin E, but 400 units or less is probably fine. Uh, so... I'm going to talk a little bit about macular degeneration, where we have uh, been and where we have come from. Uh, back about before five years ago, people with wet macular degeneration uniformly went blind. Um, as I said, um, uh, the curve for uh, vision was uniformly downhill. Um, before 1970s, there was absolutely no treatment. From 1970s to 1990s, there was a hot laser, which was um, a laser that choroidal neovascular membrane that was bleeding was lasered. Uh, now, that had uh, some success. It had 50% rec uh, recurrence rate, however. Uh, very people improved vision. The problem with the hot laser is when you do laser the choroidal neovascular membrane, you're also lasing retina. And so you're damaging uh, healthy tissue, and people would have a permanent scotoma after these lasers. Uh, so these days, hot laser is only considered for extrafoveal, so away from the center of the vision uh, membranes. And uh, so that probably only comprises about 10% of uh, these can, uh, AMDs. So in 2001, photodynamic therapy came, uh, or PDT. This was, uh, in lame terms, cold laser, which was applied every three months. Um, the people would get um, 
uh, injection of visodine in their venous vein, and the visodine would go into the renal circulation. And once it reached the choroidal vascular membrane, the cold laser would be applied. Uh, this cold laser um, was mildly effective. Uh, 65%, about two-thirds of people, had stable vision, uh, by definition meaning less than three lines of vision loss over two years. 15% uh, only had improvement. Uh, and overall, the curve was still downhill. On average, people lost two lines of vision over two years, despite being treated. And the cost wasn't cheap either. It was about $1,400 per treatment. Uh, so people have also tried surgery to remove these coronary vascular membranes, the bleeding blood vessels, see if that helps. However, there was no difference in visual outcomes. In rare instances, uh, people had good success, but again, if you look at overall and average numbers, uh, there was no difference. There are uh, also potential complications such as renal detachment, infection, among other things. Um, one surgery that can be beneficial is if you do have uh, blood underneath the retina in the center of the vision. Uh, the problem with blood is it's very phototoxic to the photoreceptors, so you don't want it around. Um, if you have blood underneath the retina, you, ha you have to remove it within 14 days. Um, so if there's any vision, acute vision loss, it's very important to uh, uh, see an ophthalmologist as soon as possible. Um, this surgery is effective in um, you know, removing the blood from the center and decreasing the chance of uh, permanent vision loss. Uh, it has relatively decent success. doesn't work for everyone, again, because the blood is phototoxic, even if it's there for a few days. Uh, but uh, it's one option. Now, where we are now is uh, we're in a much different place than we were about four or five years ago. Uh, and this is because of anti-VEGF uh, injections. So VEGF is a molecule, stands for vascular endothelial growth factor, and this is uh, present in the eye in, um, you know, in uh, nominal amounts. But people who have AMD, these uh, VEGF molecules are increased. So back in 2004, um, a drug called Macugen came. This was an anti-VEGF antibodies. Antibodies would go attack these VEGF molecules and uh, inhibit their action. So uh, macogen was uh, injected as a drug that was injected every six weeks. Um, the results were uh, decent, um, but not very good. Uh, overall, it was similar to PDT uh, in that, that people still lost vision over time. So there was still the curve was going downhill. Um, it had good ocular safety, so that wasn't an issue. Uh, the cost it was $1,000, so... Um, similar to PDT if you compare the six weeks versus the three months. But in 2006 uh, is where we turned the corner. Uh, Lucentis, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of, came about. Lucentis was also an antibody against the VEGF molecule, um, but it's more of a pan-retinal VEGF antibody as opposed to a one specific antibody, which Macugen was. And Lucentis changed the whole um, uh, outcome of with AMD. For the first time, the curve went up. Instead of losing vision on average, people gained vision. What we learned was about 40% of people actually had significant improvement of vision, uh, meaning more than three, three or more lines of vision gain over two years. 
um, and 95% had stability of vision. So this was a dramatic difference than previous treatments. Uh, so it was came out in 2006, FDA approved. Uh, one one uh, drawback is an injection that's done every month um, per study. However, not everybody gets it every month. Um, studies since then, people have tried to do it on a PRN basis, meaning as needed basis. So you would get examined if you have any activity, uh, such as leakage or bleeding or you know vision decline then you would get the injection. So you don't have to get it every month, although uh, every month might be better than PRN dosing. That's, that's something that uh, we're learning um, with new studies, and I'll talk to you about one study in just a minute. The other drawback of Lucentis is the cost. It costs $2,000 per injection. Um, so that's a big drawback uh, if you look at it uh, for just our healthcare system. Uh, so Lucentis uh, is a drug that's actually derived from Avastin. Or, um, uh, the Avastin is the colon cancer drug um, that's been very effective to treating colon cancer. And it's an anti-VEGF antibody as well. Lucentis is a smaller molecule which was used for the eye and studied and, and FDA approved. However, Avastin is something that um, was not studied by the FDA or approved by the FDA for macular degeneration because it was not uh, sponsored by the company. Uh, however, some smart people thought, let's try Avastin, uh, see if it, that's going to help. So people did try Avastin uh, in 2005 and 2006. So right around the time Lucentis was coming around, people had tried Avastin already. And... Um, even though it's not FDA approved, it's used much more than Lucentis because people th people saw that it had very similar outcomes as far as uh, outcome with vision gain and uh, vision stability. And the good thing about it is the cost that's only $50. Um, and you get it every six weeks or four weeks. So definitely um, uh, a good thing to have around. And internationally, it's used much more than Lucentis, again, because of the cost. Uh, even in the U.S., uh, with Lucentis being approved by the FDA, uh, still more Avastin is used. Now, uh, there's still some questions about Avastin, um, and that's why, finally, uh, the National Eye Institute is sponsoring a trial comparing Avastin to Lucentis head-to-head. -head. And this is a large study called the CAT study, and this is across 44 centers. Results are going to be in two years. Uh, we most of retina specialists think that the results are going to be similar. However, there's probably going to be some outliers that do respond to Avastin better or vice versa to Lucentis. Um, the other thing that the study is also in looking at is the PRN dosing. So not just getting it every month, but uh, doing it as needed basis. So they're comparing every month compared to as needed. Uh, if we, Avastin does prove to be uh, completely equal to Lucentis. Um, if you just use Avastin and get rid of Lucentis, that's going to save about $27,000 per patient annually. Uh, so it's a huge difference. So what are some other uh, compounds and uh, treatments? Um, VEGF trap uh, is a decoy receptor uh, for the VEGF molecule. It's also an injection that's done uh, in the eye. Uh, this is a study that's in phase three trials right now. Um, we don't know the final results, but uh, we should know about it in about a year. 
There's other compounds such as RNA molecules, tyrannous kinase inhibitors. These are all different molecules in the pathway um, of uh, VEGF um, production. Um, one other uh, a company called Neurotech has come up with an implant. Uh, so instead of getting these injections every month or every six weeks, um, people are trying to see if they can implant uh, a, a device that can slowly release a molecule that can um, uh, help against the macular degeneration. So Neurotech has a patented uh, technology. They're implanting this uh, device uh, that releases uh, ciliary neurotrophic factor which is uh, a growth factor capable of rescuing dying photoreceptors and protecting from them from degeneration. So they have uh, three trials, uh, two phase two trials. One is for uh, dry macular degeneration, people with the atrophy. Uh, the other one is for retinitis pigmentosa. Um, and they have a phase one trial going for red macular degeneration. Now the phase two trial for uh, the dry macular degeneration um, they had some preliminary results that came out in March to, of uh, 2009. And uh, in this study, they showed that um, there was a trend of uh, uh, people with dry macular having less loss of vision over time when they got this implant. So the numbers were about 96% uh, had stable vision compared to 75% who got uh, in a sham or a placebo implant. Um, they also looked at the retinal thickness um, in the study, and people who had these implants, there was a dose-dependent increase in their retinal thickness uh, as compared to people who got the sham. So there's definitely some difference. We won't know the results uh, until the phase three study is done, which is probably going to be another few years. Uh, their phase two study for retina experimentosis is also ongoing. We don't have any results there, but uh, there is hope that that's going to be uh, one avenue against uh, retinitis um, pigmentosa. Another study that's been done for uh, the dry macular degeneration is the GATE study. The GATE study uh, is using an eye drop um, every day, and this eye drop has a, mo a drug that's based on antidepressant. And uh, we think that this antidepressant uh, is blocks the programmed cell death of these uh, photoreceptors. Um, and this is a study that's uh, going to be completed in about two years as well. Uh, so we should have results. Uh, we were part of this study, and uh, enrollment is uh, completed. We just have been waiting for uh, the results in about a year or two. Uh, another uh, technology that's come about is radiation. Uh, now, radiation was tried 10, 20 years ago for macular degeneration, but it was not successful. Uh, people uniformly lost vision. There were complications. Uh, but now, uh, there's with more advanced technology in radiation therapy, um, there's a, a company called NeoVista that's doing radiation intraocularly. So uh, you, get, uh, you do a vitrectomy, and with a uh, radiation probe, you go directly over the lesion of the leaky blood vessel and irradiate that. Uh, this is a phase three study that's ongoing now. Some preliminary results have shown that it is actually effective. Uh, now, what the New Vista did was they combined the radiation with the injections, and they showed that people who did get the radiation had much less frequency of injections uh, needed compared to who did not get the radiation. So it's a, it's a therapy that's going to be used in combination. 
there's also radiation that's done uh, non-surgically, uh, just regular uh, extra, uh, external radiation. And that's a study being done by Roya, and that's just in the beginning phases. And so we won't know the results for that for another few years. Um, one thing that has helped our uh, uh, treatment of uh, retinal diseases has been the improvement in the imaging uh, of the retina. Uh, and the different tissues and the uh, layers within it. Uh, higher resolution imaging, such as optical coherence tomography, which takes a cross-section of the retina, shows the thickness, shows uh, if there's any fluid cysts in the middle of it. Uh, fluorescent angiography, uh, higher resolution imaging of uh, the blood vessels and the leaky blood vessels within the retina. These have all been advanced over the last few years, and they've allowed us to catch recurrences earlier because they sh would show uh, small cysts that were not picked up uh, uh, by the previous gen generation uh, imaging. So that's definitely a significant improvement. Um, uh, another uh, technology has been looking at the signal uh, that comes from the retina through ERG, the electro-retinogram. Uh, we're using a multifocal ERG to look at the signals that comes from the retina. And um, this is a study done actually in our center called the SURF study. Uh, we believe that uh, looking at the signals from the retina, uh, this will customize treatment. Um, it will improve outcomes and hopefully uh, uh, decrease the frequency of these injections and be treated, again, customized treatment. Um, another study that uh, we're doing um, is the uh, Harbor study. This is a study that uh, is using higher dose Lucentis. Now we know that 0.5 milligram of Lucentis works. That's what's approved by the FDA. Uh, the question is, does higher dose work? And uh, in this study, we're looking at two milligrams versus 0.5 milligrams. And um, there is every reason to believe that you know higher dose should work better. Uh, not only improving out in vision, but also decreasing frequency of injections. But we don't know that's what the study is for. Uh, we, we are uh, still enrolling patients for this study. So I'm going to talk to you about a little bit about Regnitis pigmentosa, shift gear here a little bit. Um, Regnitis pigmentosa has not had as uh, of a success in uh, treatments compared to macular degeneration over the last decade. Uh, however, I'll point out on two recent studies that should uh, provide some hope. Uh, Retinitis pigmentosa is a group of retinal degeneration conditions. Uh, it has variable hereditary, variable um, vision loss, um, and still no definitive treatment or cure. Retinitis pigmentosa. Retinitis pigmentosa is a retinal degenerative condition, and uh, people um, get these uh, degeneration of the retina is starting from the periphery um, and the retinal cells basically die over time. Uh, there's many studies ongoing including gene therapy, um, stem cell therapy, and ocular prosthesis. Um, as far as what's currently recommended for retinitis pigmentosa, uh, vitamin A is the only recommendation that uh, we have for retinitis pigmentosa, uh, 15,000 unit international units per day. Uh, some earlier studies have shown some benefit from this, although this hasn't been 
consistent across all the studies, but we still think that it's a good idea to be on vitamin A. Um, if you do have retina experimentosa, uh, there is other causes of vision loss, not just the retinal degeneration. People with retinal pigmentosa get a form of cataract called the PSC, posterior subcastular cataract, that can be very visually dehabilitating. And so you should, they should get checked for uh, cataract, and cataract surgery can help them regain some vision. The other thing that can be treated is uh, a swelling in the retina, which is called cystoid macular edema. This is a cyst forming in the macula uh, in patients with retinal experimentosa. And treating the cystoid macular edema either via pills, drops, or injections has shown uh, some benefit. So um, if you do have retinal experimentosa, it's not something that you know you should give up on. There's other causes of uh, vision loss, and you should get checked for that to make sure uh, you know you don't have those. Now, there's a study that came out uh, just this past month. Uh, this was published in the Archives of Ophthalmology. This was a randomized trial looking at lutein for retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, lutein, as I said, is being studied for macular degeneration. It's being used for macular degeneration. Uh, but uh, in this study, they looked at it for retinitis pigmentosa. This was a study of uh, uh, 225 non-smoking uh, patients with retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, it was a randomized trial over four years. People got uh, uh, given 12 milligrams of lutein versus um, half the patients got placebo um, uh, pills. Uh, but they also had the vitamin A, and they were advised to take fish oil. So there were, again, two arms, people who would get uh, vitamin A and fish oil only versus vitamin A, fish oil, plus the lutein. And... Um, the study showed that although overall there was still a decline in the visual field um, defects over time, um, overall uh, people who were on the lutein supplement had decreased loss of mid-peripheral vision loss uh, over the four years compared to those people who were not on the lutein. So this is uh, definitely something that uh, is good news. Um, I would have liked to see more from this. Um, the central vision loss did not uh, change with this uh, lutein. However, the mid-peripheral vision loss did. So still something uh, that can be beneficial. Um, so doctors were estimating that people who do take lutein uh, would probably protect their vision loss uh, about 3 to 10 years uh, taking lutein. Now, this might be a little bit of exaggeration, and again, it's only mid-peripheral vision loss, uh, but still better than nothing. Um, there is no adverse effects, effects of taking the lutein. So in my mind, it's something that uh, people with retinitis pigmentosa should start taking um, immediately. Uh, there's one study that came out uh, this month. So there's two recent studies on retinitis pigmentosa. This was a mouse model of retinitis pigmentosa, and this was a stem cell therapy. Uh, these mouse were injected with um, embryonic stem cells into the subrenal space. Uh, this was only a seven-month study, but 25% of the mice uh, had restored vision. Uh, the problem is there were still a lot of complications, 50% uh, retinal detachment, getting benign tumors. So this is something that needs to be obviously investigated much further. But I believe that the treatment for recognized pigmentosa is in the stem cell um, uh, line. Um, I don't 
think injections and you know things like that are going to be um, helpful for the nice because it is a, a photoreceptor uh, uh, problem and stem cell therapy is the way to go. So this is a good sign for future trials. Um, so in conclusion, AMD management, uh, we've come a long way. It's not hopeless anymore. Uh, the current injections have uh, dramatically improved outcomes with not just keeping the vision people have, but also improving it over time. Uh, the AREDS uh, supplements and the, and the green leafy vegetables uh, that we recommend uh, can prevent further vision loss in um, people who have advanced macular degeneration and also prevent their progression. Uh, there's other clinical studies available. There's not enough time to talk about all of them, but there's many other things in the pipelines, and uh, I would recommend, definitely advise you guys be um, you know up to date with your centers, uh, with your doctors, and um, seek resources. Thank you. I'll take any questions. Hang, hang on, please. Hang on, please. We have two microphones in the audience. We'll come to you. Raise your hand if you'd like to answer, ask a question. How yes. about secondhand oh. smoke? Well, secondhand smoke uh, is, in my mind, very similar to firsthand smoke, and not for you know macular degeneration, but across the other studies, such as for lung cancer. So, uh, it's going to be very similar to firsthand smoke in my mind for macular degeneration as well. I didn't look at specifically secondhand smoke but it should be the same. Okay. How is stem cell research in macular degeneration? Is there anything on the horizon? They're, they're also uh, testing those in different uh, centers. There's only a few of them uh, internationally. Uh, we don't know much yet. Uh, they've tried some, haven't been successful, but uh, still in the works. It's, a long, it's a few, at least uh, several years away, but there's hope. I lost one eye, the cold laser. Now I have only one eye left, the dry one. The doctor gave me a preservation. Is that the same as lutein? Uh, preservation is the ARIDS uh, formulation. Now you may have lutein or may not have lutein. Some do, some don't. Uh, so you have to look at the label. Some of them do come with lutein, some of them don't have lutein. But that's the ARIDS-1 formulation. That's the basic formula we do recommend. Um, if you do have advanced macular degeneration, which sounds like you do because you had uh, vision loss in one eye, um, I do recommend you to be on the ARIDS-2 formulation. Even though we don't have final results yet, uh, I think it's a, it's a good idea. Um, my vision loss was in, te in my teenage years. I'm now 62. In 1970, Dr. Elliot Burson at um, Mass General in Boston um, diagnosed me with pericentral retinitis pigmentosa with macular degeneration. Now most of the time I hear these diseases being discussed as two separate things. How common is that diagnosis or was I misdiagnosed? I can't speak uh, for your diagnosis because you know, I haven't looked at your eye, but um, uh, retinitis pigmentosa, even though uh, it usually starts in the periphery of the retina, it can st uh, also start in the center of the vision. There is different forms of it. There is a, what we call, it's a reverse retinitis experimentosa. So you could have that form of retinitis experimentosa. It's rare to have AMD and retinitis experimentosa. Uh, so yours, whatever it is, is you, 
most likely just the right minus pigmentosa. Um, I take a combination of lutein and zeaxanthin uh, that I get from one of the vitamin companies. Is that what you recommended also? Yes, that's uh, why we're talking about lutein and zeaxanthin. They're the carotenoids. Uh, that's they're the uh, two things being studied in the ARIS-2 formula. So that's definitely a good idea, yes. Uh, doctor, uh, of all the uh, pharmaceutical products, uh, specifically from Bosch and Loam, uh, okay. what would you recommend that you take daily to at least hold off the progression of the uh, I mean, the degeneration of the macular. I'm sorry, the question was of all the different vitamins, which one I recommend? Yeah. Um, again, if you have if you have category one uh, AMD, which was just you know few small drusens, um, you don't have to take all these different vitamins. Multivitamin and having a good diet is good enough, according to where it's one. Uh, now, taking the extra vitamins, in my mind, doesn't hurt. Um, it can only help. Um, so it depends what category you have uh, in general. But if I actually give a short answer, uh, I would take the ARIS-2 formula, uh, especially if you have any risk factors, family history. Lutein, yeah. That's the ARIS-2 formula, lutein, zeaxanthin. Hello. Uh, would you what would you recommend for a toxic optic neuritis as far as medical treatment or uh, vitamin supplements or both? Toxic optic neuritis. Uh, as a result of fluid, fludarabine treatment. From what? As a result of uh, chemotherapy, specifically oh, okay. the fludarabine. Yeah, that's a pretty uncommon uh, uh, condition, unfortunately. And that's a direct damage from the chemotherapy, sounds like. There's only a few, actually there's many uh, medications that do cause optic neuropathy. Uh, some cases, the optic neuropathy does improve over time. Uh, I'm not aware of any treatment for that specifically, unfortunately. Okay. Could you please repeat the name of the company who does uh, an implant study for wet macular de degeneration? It's Neurotech. Uh, there might be actually other companies, but Neurotech uh, has one. Um, and their AM, wet AMD trial is only in phase one, which means you know it's just the beginning stages. But, how, yeah. How, how is behavioral autometry? How is it progressing with the in competition with pharmaceuticals? Just learning uh, light exposure and that whole genre of behavioral autometry. How is it? I'm not sure if I understand the question. Behavioral optometry? Right. About 100 years ago, it happened here in the United States. It was behavioral optometry. It was how you could use eye exercises and light exposure, especially sunlight. And they had all of these studies and research that was good improvements. But for the last 20 or 30 years since the pharmaceutical industry, have come up with all these new medicines it's rarely even heard about. So do you have any opinion about that? Are you talking about the cataract surgery lenses specifically? No, behavioral autometry as a sector of autometry. Things no. that you can do, eye exercises. That might be a good question for our next speaker. I'm not sure, but I have not heard of behavioral optometry. Okay, you, you do. Right here. 
I've had a doctor uh, describe a condition uh, in the uh, macular as a fold. What exactly was he talking about? Yeah, fold could mean a couple things. Uh, first of all, I would want to know if they had a retinal detachment surgery in the past, uh, but fold, it might mean uh, just a uh, regular macular pucker, which is in a scar tissue formation over the retina. That's a totally different condition than macular degeneration. Yes. I have uh, dryness, very severe dryness of the eyes, and uh, I am using now the rest SS. How effective is that, and how long will it take me to do that, to have that? And uh, another question is, can I use the leftover of this rest SS? Um. So dry eye, uh, you know, usually depends on what degree of dry eye you have. Uh, this is a, a surface a tear problem. It's not a retina problem. And I usually recommend restarting with artificial tears. Uh, some people need punctal plugs. Uh, restasis is a medication for it. It's usually twice a day. Uh, it just depends on how your dry degree. Whoever prescribed you, I would definitely check up with them, make sure you know, they look at your eye. But as far as leftover... With any medication, you know, that expiration rate, it's up to you if you want to use it after that. It's not recommended. Okay, this is going to be our last question. Oh. Um, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosis and macular degeneration like um, 10 years ago. Um, but I went to the specialist last year, and because I was seeing a lot, a lot of squiggly lines more and more and more often and he said that you don't have macular degeneration you have retinitis uh, some fancy name <laughs> and I said what does that mean Sorry. and he said that he described it and he, like uh, when you make a bed and it's all straight and then you sleep in it and it gets all wrinkly Sure. He said sure. that's what's happening to my retina and that that would get me f before the retinitis pigmentosis would get me the blinding part. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thing. so that is my question. What is that? Again, it's, it's hard for me to tell you without looking at your eye, but, uh, you know, scar tissue formation can cause wiggly lines. Macular edema, the cystoid macular edema can cause wiggly lines. Um, so those two be two possibilities I will look at. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Taban. Yay! It's really exciting that there's stuff that really works for macular degeneration. I think that's so fantastic.